Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hello, welcome back. Today we're talking to Judy Arnell. She is a certified brain and child development specialist and master of non-punitive parenting and education practices. She's the best-selling author of five books, and Judy's also the parent of five self-directed, educated, never-punished children. Judy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Emily. Okay, so... I'm sure everyone's thinking what I was first thinking when I met you, and that is, you've got to be kidding me. No punishment? How does that work? And isn't that sort of non-parenting? Well, yeah, I thought so too. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm not going to punish my kids. It's (laughs) kind of on a continuum where you... You use the old punishment techniques that you've witnessed in your family. That's where we learn most of our parenting is from our family of origin. And then you try them out and you see what it does to your relationship with your children and how it works for you. And very quickly, I vowed never, ever to spank my children. But I got into the, oh, the jail time, time outs, the consequences. Most, I would say, 99% of the parenting books in the market tell you that that is positive discipline and you try them out because parents need to do something. If we can't spank, we got to, we got to do something. We got to take action. And then you see what it does to the relationship with your kids as they get older. So I didn't spank, but I did use some timeouts and consequences. And I reached the point where my oldest son was about eight. And he said to me, mom, you're the one issuing the consequence. I'm not the one choosing it. And and he wouldn't talk to me. And I thought, this is not the way I want to head into the teen years. So from then on, I decided I wasn't using any punishments whatsoever with all my kids. And three of my youngest have never, ever been punished with timeouts or consequences or having their technology taken away. Wow. So again, I think this is pretty different from what those listening have experienced or Mm -hmm. have done in the past. So talk us through the nitty gritties of how this really works. You have this experience in your family where your youngster um, had a fit and it involved potato chips. So (laughs) what does it look like to not punish our kids? And, And I think just to speak to the first question I had for you, and to clarify, you're not saying that we're completely ignoring bad behaviors or we're not getting involved as parents. So you just have a different take on what it looks like to deal with a a rebellious or a child who's not listening. So talk us through what that looks like in real life. Okay. So you're right. We don't advocate not dealing with a behavior. But we don't call it discipline anymore because discipline to many parents means punishment. The medical community, we now call it behavior guidance. And what that looks like for different age groups is different. So for under age three, when they have very little self-control, we push redirection, supervision, substitution. 
over age three, you can start doing a few more tools like childproofing, but also problem solving. So I'll describe the incident Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we had in one of my books, Parenting with Patients. And this is an incident of most parents are okay with behavior guidance when kids don't know better. But when they come up against deliberate disobedience, that's when they tend to bring out the big guns, like Mm -hmm. spanking, taking away iPads for a week. So one day my son was three and he came to me with a big bag of Costco chips and he said, I want some chips, I'm hungry. And I said, no, we're going to have dinner in 10 minutes, put them away. And he didn't like that. And in his three-year-old, very spirited way, He took that bag of chips up to his room, opened them, and spread the chips all over the white carpet. And if that wasn't enough, he proceeded to stamp every last chip in because he's very spirited. He he made sure they were all done. (laughs) He was thorough (laughs) Thorough. in in being rebellious in that moment. Yeah. Very detailed. And so I heard some stomping while I was making dinner, and then I heard quiet, and I went up, and That's a moment when most parents would lose it. And it's one of my better parenting moments, which is why I'm telling you about it, (laughs) (laughs) is that I was was just shaking with anger, shaking with anger. And I said to him, my I message, I said, I am so angry, I'm going to take a time out. And I just left him there, three years old, chips, everything. I left him, went downstairs had a good cry, called my partner and just let it all out. (laughs) So I was getting calm. And that's probably the key message for parents is when you're dealing with deliberate misbehavior, get yourself calm first, get yourself in a mode of being able to deal with it. You have to have self-control because the kids don't. You're the adult, you're expected to have it. We've had more years of practice. Mm -hmm. So then I did, I got calm. And then permissive behavior would be just letting it go right there. But we do advocate that you deal with the situation. So I came back up and I told my son, okay, we have three problems here. We need to clean up the chips. We need to talk about ways to handle your anger, other than throwing chips on the floor. And we need to visit the original problem, which is what are we going to do when you're hungry before dinner? So he helped me clean it up. You know, three-year-olds aren't very good, but at least Mm -hmm. he was involved in the process and it taught him how to clean the carpet. Then we had a little conversation about ways to handle his anger. So we decided next time you're going to stomp your feet and leave the room. And he agreed to that. So very often we tell kids what they can't do when they're angry. You can't hit, you can't swear, you can't back talk. But we don't have a yes list. We don't tell them what they can do and give them tools. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And the neatest thing about your philosophy is that it's centered around problem solving. And in the work that I do, I get the incredible pleasure of helping families discover how their kids innately problem solve. And that changes the game because like you just expressed, you're starting to engage them in the process. And you're also teaching them how to effectively deal with emotions, but also to deal with problems. 
and I just think that's so important early on that they learn how to deal with difficult circumstances just as much as good ones. Mm-hmm. And absolutely couldn't agree more about this idea of, yes, here are the behaviors that are not okay, but here are the ones that are absolutely okay. And mm-hmm. that gives them a choice as well and helps them feel a sense of control, I would think. Yes. Yes. It gives them something to do when they're angry rather than tell them what not to do. And the key there is we have to all model it. So my partner had to be on board. What what was okay for him to show his anger? What was okay for me? What was okay as our family guidelines? You distinguish between a consequence and problem solving. Can you flesh that out for us? Sure. Consequences tend to be punishment. And although they're not physical punishment, they are emotional punishment and they do impact the relationship. So we advocate problem solving instead of consequences. The difference is consequences tend to be only one solution, usually parent imposed, and it's usually designed to hurt in order to teach a lesson. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, problem solving is many solutions. They're generated by parent and the child, so they both feel ownership of the problem. It's not parent against a child. It's parent and child working together against the problem. And it's not necessarily designed to hurt. It's designed to fix it, to make restitution, to replace the item, it's designed to fix the problem. And it's can be used as soon as children start talking. So about age three and up. Although, realistically, at that age, parents are going to generate a lot more of the, the ideas to fix the problem than the child, but it gets them into the process of working the problem and not the person. I love that working the problem, not the person. So what do you say to the person who objects with, well, you don't have my child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I get that a lot. (laughs) This doesn't work for every child. Yeah, I get that a lot too, but that's not true. Person wants to be respected. Even children want to be treated with dignity. And I always say, if you wouldn't do it to your mother-in-law, you wouldn't do it to your partner, you wouldn't do it to your next door neighbor, why would you do it to your child? And you, the rest of the world is going to give your children consequences. Absolutely. That's fine. They can learn it out there. But you have a relationship with your child and you have the vested interest to work through the problem-solving process with them And it teaches them a valuable life skill. It teaches them how to work out relationship problems later in life. I'm not saying time out is a great skill too. It is absolutely taking a time out. But we often teach kids to take a time out by forcing them into it where we should be modeling it ourselves. So when I saw the chips on the floor, I modeled a time out. And that's the best way kids learn to take it for themselves. So you just mentioned relationship. In fact, you've mentioned it multiple times throughout this conversation, and that seems to be the big prize that we keep our eyes on. How does the traditional approach to parenting and punishment hurt the relationship with our kids? 
What it does is as we continue punishing children as they grow older, you consider a nine-year-old is half the way to adulthood. Mm -hmm. And it impacts that communication. It impairs the child to come to the parent for problems they can't solve in the outside world. Say a child is being bullied and they're not handling it well and they're afraid to come to parents because they're afraid the parents are going to take away their devices, which is a very common reaction. Or the child made a mess and they're scared to tell parents about it and they hide it. Very often children who are scared of parents hide things and don't come to them for help. And parents are those children's lifeline. We want to take the fear out of that parent-child relationship. And you need to do that in order to enable the communication. So if you want to be friends with your teenagers, you're still in the parent role, but you have a friend relationship. And friends come to each other when they have problems and they need help. That's the kind of relationship you want with your children. People have said to me, well, yeah, if I don't give them a good spank, you know, they're going to turn out to be a delinquent or they're never going to get a job or they're never going to survive in the real world. And when I heard things like that, raising my kids, I was scared, too, because I thought, well, I don't know anybody who doesn't punish their kids. And yet now I can look back and say, well, I got three university graduates and, and one already there and one in a master's program. And it's not to say we didn't have problems or issues that came up in our family. It's that we we worked the relationship first. We dealt with it by problem solving and not punishment. So you talk about that timeout, you know, make sure everybody steps away, calms down as necessary, and then come back to deal with the issue. But I've always heard that, particularly with little kids, that if you don't deal with the issue in the moment, if you wait till later, even couple minutes or maybe later in the day, you've missed the opportunity. Is that true? (laughs) Not true at all. That is such a common piece of guidance I've read in so many parenting books too. It's not true. It's not based in research. Even a two-year-old, you as a parent can take a time out. You want to make sure they're safe. So you can put a two-year-old in the crib and just say, I need a time out and go leave the room go in the bathroom, scream into the toilet for 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. get calm. And and then you can come back and take that two-year-old out and deal with the issue. They do not forget that quickly. Even at the end of the day, I often tell parents, when you're tucking your kids in at night, you can say, oh, remember when we had that chip problem today? Now, remember, what are we going to do when we're angry? And the key is when everybody's calm, that's when the learning takes place. That's when the brain, the logic part of the brain comes back and the emotional part is settled. And that's when kids really remember teaching. That is so key. I think we can all agree that we have done some things out of extreme or high emotions that we regret. Mm -hmm. And that just as we are not doing our best thinking in those moments, nor are our kids, so I am so glad to hear you debunk that because in my own parenting experience, I have found that to be the case, that waiting for everyone to calm down and then having a loving, respectful conversation about, okay, what really happened and what are we going to do about it is so much more effective than what would probably happen in the moment is us just screaming at each other and getting nowhere. Right. Absolutely. And if 
that was probably the best tip in parenting is just get yourself calm first, then get your kids calm, then solve the problem. And nobody learns anything in the heat of the moment. Back to my chip example, when my son had chips all over his floor, he shared a room with his brother and his brother came in and saw chips on his floor too. And now the two were fighting, right? As kids do. So I just grabbed each by the hand and I walked them downstairs and sat on the couch. I sat between them and I just picked up a book and started reading it, a storybook. And after about 10 minutes, everybody calmed down. They actually started listening to the words. And it was a way to get everyone to calm and get some literacy in there too. And then you can start solving the problem. Once everybody's, you know, in the mood of of being calm. So you just gave us that framework, which for you, it's those three steps. Can you hit on those one more time so we're all completely clear, basically the ABC of non-punitive parenting? Can you walk us through that once more? Sure. So I outline in the book, Parenting with Patience. So the first step is get yourself calm. Time out is for us. Second step, get your child calm. Time in is for them. And the third step is solve the problem time together. So in the second step, time in is just helping kids get a grip because oftentimes they're out of control. They need an adult who's very not lecturing, not you know, rationalizing. They need an adult just to say, deep breathe. Come on, let's deep breathe, deep breathe. They need help calming down. And that's what we call time in is helping them to calm down rather than sending them to a room and saying, calm down yourself. You can do it. Come out when you're ready. Mm -hmm. And I know this is also child specific, at least in our family. My oldest, when he reaches that point, he asks to go to his room because he likes to listen to a book and that helps calm him down. And not having the stimulation of other people around him is helpful. My youngest, Micah, when he gets to that point, he will say, I need help calming down. And he usually needs a hug. He needs a touch. He needs the presence of another person. So I found that very interesting because my own kids are very different. But for me, it's just about responding to what they're asking for and what seems to work for them. Mm -hmm. And not forcing on, you know, what I like about your approach is it's not, like you say about consequences, forcing on our solutions in that moment. And it's been neat that my kids do feel the freedom and the awareness to express what they need. And that's, that's so helpful. And, And they're seven and five. So, you know, I'm sure that took them some time to develop. I'm not sure about what age that came true, but I do feel like for some time now, they've been very good at expressing that to us. And that's such a good reward to you. When kids can express how they're feeling, they're demonstrating emotional intelligence, and that's going to serve them far in life. And I like how you told us that, yes, children are different temperaments. Absolutely. Some children will quietly go off to their room to calm down. I had one of those, but a lot of kids are very spirited or spicy temperament, and they may need something different. They need contact with you. They need 
physical and emotional contact. And it's at a time when you're angry, it's very hard to give them a hug when you're steaming away. But Mm. with practice, try and do it because it will calm them down, which will calm you down and everybody gets calmer. And that really works for spicy children. I've had three spicy children or spirited children and they were all that way. They needed physical contact to calm down. The other question I often get from parents is, why would you reward misbehavior with a hug, right? Mm. And I say, well, you're you're addressing the misbehavior later. Right mm. now, your whole job is just to get everyone to calm down. And a hug, if that's what it's going to take, it's not rewarding the behavior. It's calming the child down so you can get to addressing it. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And they just need that sense of security in that moment when they feel like they're losing it. Usually they feel like they're losing control of the situation and their emotions. And when you come and give them that tight hug, it just brings them back down. And I've seen that literally that melting back down and that calm that comes with it. So there is so much power in a hug. And I agree with you. It's not justifying the behavior that preceded it, mm-hmm. but it's letting them know in that moment that I'm here for you. And to your point, we'll deal with this together. Mm-hmm. Very much so for, especially for young children. Mm-hmm. Now, when they get to the age of teenagers, and they're mad at you for something, it's probably best to just give them some space. They're the ones that will probably storm off to their room and need 20 minutes to just calm down. And that's okay too. And then with teenagers, it might be good to ask them when, when you're not in the heated moment, what do you want me to do when you're angry? Do you want me to come and give you a hug or would you rather me just let you be? And they will tell you what works for them. Speaking of teenagers, I'm sure that it was helpful to you when your kids were teenagers that they grew up with this method. They knew what to expect. But for those listening that have older kids at home and they want to try this out, is it going to work? I mean, their kids might look at them funny and say, no, or this isn't what I was expecting. I mean, can you adopt these principles with a child that is quite a bit older? effectively? (laughs) Yes, you can. You can, at any point, any day, you can say, I'm not going to punish my kids anymore. We're going to work things out like other people. So you, but it's best to go to your child and say, you know what, I'm not going to punish you anymore. I want to treat you like the adult you're becoming. So let's look at problem solving as our main tool of handling things in the future. And hopefully the kids will agree. <laughs> it helps to get their their buy-in <laughs> because mm-hmm. they're going to have to do some of the work of problem solving. And if you don't know the problem solving process, I outline it in my book, Discipline Without Distress, but there's you can look at it on Google too. It's a six-step problem solving. And start with something positive, like, what are we going to do this weekend? Problem solve that first before you Mm. problem solve misbehaviors. And teach them the process and say, hey, didn't this work really well? And I often, I tell parents, you know, maybe write down the solutions you've agreed to with your children. 
post them on the wall. And that way, if, you know, through the week it comes up that they're, they're not wanting to do the solution, then you say, well, look, we agreed to this. This is the best we're going to do this week until we can rehash this on the weekend again. So you can start at any time. And believe me, your relationship will become a lot closer at any time in the parenting continuum. That's so encouraging. Judy, if listeners want to learn more about you, maybe get a hold of your books, how do they do that? My website's at professionalparenting.ca. And my name is Judy Arnell, and I'm on Amazon. And I have a blog, too, called judyarnell.com. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad you came and shared with us how non-punitive parenting is possible. And gosh, there's a lot of alliteration in there too, but (laughs) so glad to know that there really is something out there that I think a lot of us long for. We just didn't have the formula for it. And it really is as simple as one, two, three, ABC. So thanks again, Judy. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.